we're working through the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms are interesting because they don't always paint a pretty picture of life. You know, and, and that's, you know, Eugene Peterson, who I, I've talked a bit about, he's the guy who translated the message. Um, we'll talk about him in, in a moment again, a couple quotes today from him. He, he said, praying is not being nice before God, but being open before God. And, and sometimes the Psalms last week, we, we discussed one that was a little hard to deal with. And it's, it, it's, you know, open feelings. And Psalms express feelings, often despair. But ultimately, they offer us hope. And this week, we're going to do Psalm 40. Now, you may have sung it and not even known it. I posted, I posted uh, the, um, this, there's this video of Bono, uh, who's the lead singer of U2. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, now U2 know. But, uh, you know, and, and he meets with Eugene Peterson, which was kind of funny. If you watch, the video's funny because... Uh, Peterson, like, Bono's trying to meet with him, and he's just like, I just don't have time. And, you know, you're like, it's like one of the world's biggest rock stars at the time, and you, don't, you just don't have time for him. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing, but they eventually meet and everything. And, um, you know, I, when I posted that video again this week, because there's just layers of interesting things in there. I posted it in the Facebook group for the church, and Julie said this. I want to read your comment, because it was awesome. It said, Lewis and I went to see YouTube back in the 80s. Uh, that's not the 1880s, that was the 1980s. Well before we had Jesus in our lives. I still remember the entire audience singing 40 with Bono. Well, how do you say it? 40? 40. <laughs> Imagine my surprise when I started reading the Bible years later and it had a U2 song in it. Um, <laughs> Psalm 40, which is, it, it's not, he doesn't sing all of that in 40, but he, he sings some of the verses, and we'll get to those today. Um, but, you know, Eugene Peterson said about Psalm 40, he said, it's one of the Psalms that reaches into the hurt and disappointment and difficulty of being a human being. And acknowledge that, that in a language that is immediately, is recognizable. It, it's something that reaches into the heart of the person, the stuff we all feel, but many of us don't talk about. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to jump into Psalm 40. I'm going to read it in its entirety before we begin. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, not the New King James. <laughs> it says this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud, or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come. As it is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. 
I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, and they say, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Um, so Psalm 40, for, for the choir director, a Psalm of David. Now David, as you know, he's a man after God's uh, own heart. He's an author of many of the Psalms. And it says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because I think you've probably heard a few Jeremiah passages in the last couple of weeks when I, when I preach, if you've noticed. And part of that is because Denise and I have been discussing the book of Jeremiah, um, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, most married couples sit around and talk about Jeremiah all the time, I imagine. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an interesting, fascinating book. And um, there's lots of kind of interesting and cool things. Down. There's a lot of bad things, too, that happen in it. But in, in Jeremiah 38, there's this story uh, some officials don't like what Jeremiah is telling people. You know, so he's like preaching some things. They don't like it. Uh, <laughs> King's not, uh, King kind of gives them permission. They, they, they like chuck him into a cistern. They lower him down. Into, and now, most of us don't know what a cistern is. It's like a brethren. But <laughs> uh, bad jokes all week long, folks. I'm here. Uh, but you know, a cistern what, what was like basically a water storage tank. So think of a well, but without water coming out of it naturally, just a big kind of pit. And you kind of picture if you've stored water in anything for a while, there's, it kind of gets muddy, yucky, gucky at the bottom. So picture that. They're, they're under siege. The cistern's empty. They stick them down there. Um, and, you know, it, so Jeremiah was literally in muck and mire. And that's sort of the pit, I imagine, when David talks about a pit of muck and mire, because he was in something that was kind of discussed. Now, interesting, though, an Ethiopian pulled him out. I'm just saying, you know, we work Ethiopia back in this. Those of you who don't know, I love Ethiopia. I love Ethiopian food. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so Ethiopia shows up in the Bible, and you didn't even know it. And now, and I've, I've literally been stuck in mucky places. Anyone ever been stuck in muck? Yeah, I remember as a kid, like, um, we, um, you know, I, I live kind of where I live now. A lot of you know where I live, and you've been to my house and helped me cut down trees and all kinds of things, <laughs> because last year with the tornado. But I remember as a kid, we would get in the boats, and we didn't have, like, the level of video games and TV and stuff kids have today. So our fun was, like, a boat, and we would just get in the boat, and we'd you know, go out all over, and we'd fish and explore and do the kind of stuff that boys did in the 80s. Uh, and I, I remember um, just kind of fooling around. We jumped out of the boat in the back of the lake. Um, now, some of you haven't been to the back of Moore's Lake. I don't know if it's still this way. I haven't really, you know, kind of tested it. But all the years of all the gunk and leaves and everything piling out there, there was like feet and feet of gunk and muck 
And I remember jumping in, and it was like, I literally didn't think I was going to be, get out, except my friend Steve was like pulling me back into the boat, and he was like about to pull it over, you know? It was like, oh my gosh. It's that kind of thing. Or, or maybe if you've ever been in thick mud, anyone ever walk through mud so thick your shoe comes off? And you have, to, you have to dig it out of the mud. It's like disgusting and awesome all at once. And that's kind of how I'm picturing this. You know, it's this, this, if you didn't have help, you might be stuck. You might lose some things. And the truth is, in life, we all experience some muddy moments, right? Uh, you know, we, um, you know, we're not, the cool thing about this whole passage is, you know, they don't exactly tell us what David was going through. Because sometimes, you know, and scholars like to try to guess and try to figure this out. And sometimes the psalm will tell us, you know, while David was being pursued or all these things. But I like the fact that they don't really mention it because, you know, you may not, if we knew specifically what David was going through, you might go, oh yeah, yes or no, I've been through that. But most of us can look at a time in our life where we feel like we were stuck in the mud. You know, literally, or maybe, uh, but, but, but figuratively, you know, we're, we're stuck, and, and I find it comforting to know, because it doesn't say, you know, exactly what he was in, but it reminds us that God can, can help us in all those situations, and, but, you know, I was thinking about what kind of pits we get stuck in. Many times we fall into the pit of sin. Now, David, I think of, you know, when you think of David, what do you think of immediately? Yeah, some of us were right to Bathsheba. That's good, because that's where we're going. That's the pit of sin. <laughs> you know, with, I'm sure David did a lot of things in his life wrong. But with David and Bathsheba, we told the story a few weeks ago. He sees her. He likes her. He takes her. Knowing she's married. Commits adultery. Uh, then she gets pregnant. His, her husband's off fighting for him in the, in the military. David arranges this cover-up story so that Uriah, you know, dies in battle, so he can kind of not figure out that, you know, David got her pregnant. It's not a good story, right? And so that, that, that's a pit of sin. And a lot of times, you know, it, it escalates, because there's all these points at which David could have stopped, but he doesn't. He, he keeps going forward. And, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what sin is like. It, it's sticky, now, some of you, you've heard my story about the factory, and it's funny because I was explaining to someone this week, so apparently they've heard my story, but not really understood it. So I'll, I'll, a little bit more detail. I used to work in a factory, and I made the plastic that goes out over top of fields, you know, like that black plastic. I was on line five, that's what we made. Uh, you know, ah, good old line five, I remember those. Anyway, <laughs> the one thing I love about that job, though, I went home, and I didn't think about anything else. Like, some of you have jobs that follow you home. <laughs> you know, making plastic, I didn't think about plastic when I got home. Although, every time I smelled the uh, milk jug, it was sort of sour. That's some, what some of the plastic pellets smelled. That was the most I ever brought work home with me. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend who wouldn't recycle milk jugs because they all came back to his line. And he's like, I hate them. <laughs> uh, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, ecological things aside. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's this, 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 you know, so anyway, my job, because I was the low man on the totem pole, is when every once in a while the, the machine had to be cleaned, and in the back there's an extruder that extruded liquid plastic, and it kind of does all these things get stretched out. Well, it, you just had to run it for a little bit to kind of purge the line or something. Uh, you know, many of you, if you've 
you, you know, change oil or something, you put a little fresh in there, flush it, you know, that kind of thing, where you just had to flush it out. And, and so my job, low man on the totem pole, was to sit there and it would blob out on the floor, you'd kick it into a pile and then kick it off to the side, and you're going to throw it away later. Problem is, at some point, it started sticking to my shoe just a little bit. And then the bigger blobs got stuck on my shoe. And before long, I was stuck in this giant blob of plastic, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even move my feet. I'm like, un, you know, I had like the long military-style boots on. I'm like, un, undoing my boots, undoing my boots, and there's still molten plastic pouring all over in my giant pile. And then I had to jump out and, and walk around and go get the guy who was in charge of the line and go, hey, Vince, man, um, I need help. And he's like, why are you barefoot? And I'm like, come with me, come with me. <laughs> because a lot of times... You know, you think you can control things, and st sin is like that. It's sticky, because you think you got it under control, but it sticks to you, and, and it causes problems. So sometimes we're in a pit of sin that, that we've often put ourselves in there. And sin seems manageable at first, right? Because a lot of us will take sin into our life, and we think, I got this. David's thinking, I'll just sleep with her, send her back. This is good. I got this. But one thing after another. And I remember this video a few years ago. <laughs> It's, I, I, I thought of it this morning, and I was like, oh, can I find that video? But maybe you've seen it. It's, you know, the, there's like a puddle, and they like, they're kind of encouraging their friend to jump right into the puddle, and they jump in, and it's like six foot deep or something. Do you, you ever see that one or one like it? I love that because it's funny. You know, and you hope the friend doesn't get hurt, but, you know, you know after he jumped in the six-foot puddle, he was going to look for another friend too. I'm just saying because that's what dudes do. <laughs> um Anyway, uh, you, know, uh, you know, because you think, okay, I'm just jumping in a puddle, no big deal, suddenly it's over your head. I remember as a kid, like, we, we, again, we just ran around, we'd jump into water and stuff. I remember jumping into this one pool uh, of water that I thought was like two feet deep, it was like ten feet deep. You know, it's like, you thought you had it under control. Unfortunately, it was nice clean water and I just got all wet. <laughs> Uh, just had to explain that. But we just stayed out long enough till we dried anyway, because that's what we did in the 80s. <laughs> you know, or, or you know, often I, I liken sin to a pet lion, because I'm not, I know some of you are cat people, I like cats. I, I'm not an anti-cat person. I'm more of a dog person. But if I could own like a lion, I'd be all in on this cat thing, right? Because <laughs> they're awesome. And I, I had a friend who had this giant cat. I'm like, I want that cat. Um, <laughs> I just, I just like, I don't know. Anyway, but I would love to own a lion. But what happens if you own a lion? Yeah, a little lion cub is cute and cuddly. But when it grows up, what happens? It gets you. You know, even professional lion tamers get bit. <laughs> and that's how sin is. We think it's cute and cuddly. We take it into our lives. But then we find, man, that thing can kill me. Uh, if we're not careful. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's not as obviously sin, but we find ourselves in the pit of bad habits. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many people I work with who are, you know, alcoholics or drug addicts. You know, it's like you think you can control it, you think you can party a little, and next thing you know, it controls you. Uh, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, th there's all these things, you know, and, and, you know, that's an obvious one. But how many of us are Netflix addicts? Get home, 
binge watch. You're like, I, I told you I had a friend who was like really kind of righteous. Like, I don't watch TV. I watch Netflix for eight hours. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I watch, it, watch it on the internet. But, but you know, it's okay to watch TV, but, but how many times do we take in behaviors in our life that then start to cause problems? I'm not saying you can't just veg out one day, watch Netflix, but it can start to become a problem, right? You stop socializing because you're watching Netflix or, or whatever your, your, your thing is. So there's all these kind of bad things. Now, it's funny because we've said this before, and uh, someone actually sent me a book the other day. They're like, hey, have you read this one? I'm like, no. But it actually reminded me of a series we did a while back, and I think we called it uh, Mythstries. And it was like, yeah, do you remember that one? I, I kind of vaguely remember. And, um, you know, if, if you know me, you know, one of the expressions I hate um, is everything happens for a reason. Because I kind of feel like God gets indicted there, like everything bad in your life is God's fault. Uh, now, I do think God makes use of those things, but I, I like the second part of that. I used to always say everything happens for a reason, and I'm like, sometimes physics. <laughs> like, if, if you go really, really fast in your car and swerve off the side of the road and hit a tree, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm like, yeah, physics, because you're traveling in a fast object, and then you, you moved, and it hit the other object. Uh, or, or, you know, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes it's because you're stupid and make bad decisions. Because sometimes the reason is us. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying God can't use all those things. And we had a great conversation yesterday uh, in the men's group about how God uses sometimes our brokenness, our shortcomings, our problems, the things we've had to go through for others. Uh, but, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> we blame ourselves uh, bad habits. Sometimes we may just find ourselves in a pit of defeat because enemies come against us. Now, I think of David and Saul. See, I'm just like him. I'm trying to figure out what pit. I tell people, don't worry, don't worry about pit. And then I start trying to think of some. But, <laughs> you know, if you don't know the story, so, so David gets anointed king by Samuel. And, and, you know, Saul's still king. And so David like, shows up at the palace at some point. You know, he, he, you know he, he's like playing music and everything. He's kind of, he's becoming like a friend to Saul. Next thing you know, Saul's crazy, chasing him, trying to kill him. There's a crazy story about a cave you ought to read. <laughs> you know, and there, there's, this, you know there, there's times when we have people who are coming against us. Now, at David's defense, I don't, I, maybe I missed something when I read the story. I don't see anything where David caused Saul to chase him. He didn't do anything that, that, that caused him uh, to become his enemy. But, but you know, that's, that's all. So, so there's times where you just, there's a pit of enemies coming against you. You know, there, there, there's people coming who don't like you. Uh, you know, and so this, you know, sometimes just persecutions and pressure. You know, all, all these things come against us. You know, Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, uh, starting verse twenty-four, says, "I always think of Paul when I think of bad things happen to a good person. Like he was bad. If you don't know the story of Saul, he was like killing Christians. He's like all about it. They're killing Stephen. He's holding their coats." You know, he's like, hey, this is a good thing. He's getting letters to go persecute him. Jesus shows up, gives him a smackdown on the road to Damascus. And next thing you know, you know Paul's preaching Jesus. And, and, and Paul becomes this missionary. And you read the book of Acts. He's, just, he's doing all these kind of cool things. And in the middle of it, he's writing, you know, scripture. And I'm thinking, you know, all that he's going through, like, he's rejoicing. He's at, you watch him, like, in, in Philippi, he's in jail. And they're, like, singing hymns around midnight. 
I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest, if I was in jail, I don't think I'd be singing hymns around midnight. If I was in a jail back in that day, I mean, we're not talking like, you know, bars and you sit there with a cup, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know, you're like, you're literally in sort of a dungeon thing shackled up. You know, it's not a good thing. It's, you know, they'd beaten them before that. <laughs> and so Paul goes over all this stuff, and he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and a night and day adrift at sea. Man, I'd be wondering about those sharks. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have spent a whole night in a day. Oh, I, I, and I've skipped this line up back to the scripture. I have traveled on many, many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and rob, from robbers. I have faced danger on my, from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Man, so Paul knows it, right? He knows what it's like for people to come against him. He knows what it's like to be stressed. So any pit you, you've been through, I, I'm not trying to make less of it, but someone else has been there, right? Someone else has had those struggles, those pressures, those things. Um, now, it's not chronological, but, but he was earlier in the letter. Even in the midst of all that, Paul, Paul, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but not, never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. We're like weevil wobbles. We come back up. <laughs> and we can trust that even when we're in a pit, God can lift us out. And so no matter what pit you're in, no matter what mud you're stuck in, you know, God can still pull you out. God, God, God can, can get you out. And we can trust that, you know, when we're in the pit, like Jeremiah, God can lift us out through others he sends. Or, you know, we can trust that Jesus will climb down that pit and pull us out himself. You know, <laughs> and that's what the psalmist allows, that's what allows the psalmist David to sing. Starting verse 3, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud, or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You know, the person who truly trusts God is truly blessed. You know, God has done great things for his people in the past, and he'll do it in the future. And, you know, you know we, we haven't done Psalm 34, um, and I don't know that we will um, before, well, we might eventually, but it read in part, uh, taste and see the Lord is good, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. And, and you taste and see the Lord is good. Now, not a lot of buffets open during COVID. That was the worst part of the buffet, uh, the, 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 the <laughs> of COVID for some of us. Um <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of us like to eat. Um, and I, I love, I love uh, Indian buffets. I love, I've, I've actually been to an Ethiopian food buffet, uh, you know, and you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, yes, now you're interested. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, but you can go, imagine a buffet or like a wedding. Like the great thing about weddings, well, one of the great things is all the food. <laughs> let's, let's admit it. I mean, 
you know, the words I have to say about marriage, hopefully you listen to them, I, I work hard on them, but, but generally it's like people just can't wait for me to get done, and then usually they call me up to pray afterwards, but you know what everyone's thinking at that moment I'm up there praying? We've already heard from this guy. Can you just move on and say amen because I want to eat again? Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, buffets, I, I love it. Now, here's the thing, you can invite someone to a buffet. I often invite people to Indian food buffets if they, they don't know Indian food because I can kind of be their guide. And um, I, often I've brought someone who was like, I call them Delaware people. I don't know what else to call them. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love Delaware. I'm from Delaware. I'm as Delaware as they get. I mean, we can track it back generations. If I got a tattoo, it would probably be Jesus and Delaware. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I can never decide on a tattoo. Like, I, I changed my mind too much. But, but you know, I, you know I'm, I'm as Delaware as they get. But Delaware people, like, we think pepper is a spice. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a spice, but it's not the only one. Come on now. <laughs> Salt and pepper. I think that's all we grew up with, right? Any, anyone from Delaware feel that? Like, okay. Some, anyway. <laughs> now, again, not, I'm, salt and pepper, not bad, but, you know, I bring people to a buffet, and, and when they try in that buffet, you know, some people, they, they don't eat anything but, like, the tandoori chicken. Now, tandoori chicken, good, don't get me wrong, but that's just, like, the entry level into the beauty of the spices that you could be experiencing. You know, but you, you bring them to, a, but sometimes I'll have someone who's adventuresome, and they'll try everything. They like some things, they don't like things, but here's the thing, if it's a buffet, you know, some of us won't try foods because they look funny or they look different than we're used to, but we never really get to enjoy it, right? Ethiopian food is good. <laughs> I, I know, I wish we could get it here in Do Dover. We can't. You gotta go, uh, Lancaster's the closest one I have. Tell them Jeff said hi if you go up there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it may not be thing, but, it, you know, if you never try the foods on a buffet you would never know if you really liked them. You got to try it. And, and we're all invited to this buffet to taste and see that the Lord is good, but some of us don't want to try his ways. We don't want to try his things. And, and, and if you really live your life in following God, you get to taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll see that he can lift you out of the pit. But if you don't trust him to lift out, you out of the pit, I don't know who's going to lift you out of the pit. You may not be lifted out of the pit. You might stay in the pit. Uh, uh, a commentator said, until you trust God, you'll never know how good his goodness is. Um, let me read that again. Until you trust God, you will never know how good his goodness is. And if we trust him, we'll learn. Many of us will never know the joy of a life submitted to God's will because we don't really want to relinquish control. I, maybe I'm the only one who's ever had struggles with that. Um, <laughs> Remember the driver's ed car? They didn't have these in my day. I always saw them on TV. Someone told me they still exist. It's like got the two steering wheels. Like so, you know, they're on this side steering and the driver's ed structure has a brake and all this stuff here. You know, I, I think, I don't know. People should get hazard pay for some things. I don't know what possesses a man or woman to become a driver's ed instructor. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> That's gotta be scary. I mean, knowing the rules isn't so bad, but you like, I remember, it's still in my day, it's like you put, you put three teenagers in a car, you sit there with as the instructor, you're like, go ahead. I'm like, man, I'm like, 
I drove a you know, little tractor my whole life, you're driving that thing. I could back a trailer, <laughs> but I could not drive forward in a car. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's crazy. And, you know, and it's interesting when you start teaching your kid to drive, because the same thing will happen. You don't want to like, let them fully drive. Like You want to just tell them everything, tell them to stop, keep stomping on that imaginary brake that's not there. <laughs> that's just me. Oh, no, that's everybody. Okay. Here's the thing. A lot of us, you know, are, are, are in life, we give God, you know, a song like Jesus Take the Wheel, you know. Uh, you know, so Jesus Take, I can't sing it. I don't even know it. I just thought of it. <laughs> you know, we, we give him the wheel, but we keep trying to take it back. And, and you really never know what it's like to live a life submitted to God's will until you kind of go all in and let it happen. Uh, you know, um, Verse 6 says, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Now, book of Hebrews, which we're going to get to this year. There's laughter. I know we really are going to get to it this year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we, I, I like that book because it talks about how men should make coffee. Hebrews. Come on, you get ready for all my Hebrews jokes. I got a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> someone over there thought it was funny. Thank you. For those of you who don't know or don't know online, there's a whole other section here. We're an L-shaped church. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because people come in and like I'm talking to them, and I was like, oh well, you know, you know, they, like if you sit far enough in the back, you don't even know this section over here exists, right? We call it the 1010 because our service is a 10. And if you're 10 minutes late, you have to sit there. But then we find it's actually near the childcare stuff and everything, so it's nice and it's chilled. And there's actually an espresso bar there. You can make lattes. And I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Anyway, <laughs> Hebrews. Uh, now everyone's going to be sitting there next week, and I'll be like, where's the espresso? He said there's espresso. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says this. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other sin offerings. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so it's funny because you read that passage and you're like, oh, but wait, there's all kinds of sacrifices required in the Old Testament. But it, but it all pointed to Jesus. And even David knows, hey, it's not about these sacrifices. It all points to a Savior to come. Uh, and sacrifices, you know, the old... Uh, uh, the po all point to this ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah <laughs> says uh, in the Hebrew Bible, says, this is, but this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And, and so there's this, always this, this, this pointing to it's not about the sacrifices in this system. Um, verse seven says, then I said, look, I have come. As is written in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I will take joy in your will. Um, you know, here's the thing. Well, it's one of the many things I'll say. Here's a thing. <laughs> I would say, here's the thing, and then I have like five of those. I need like another word than the, okay, someone come up with one, text me later. Uh, here's a thing. As you grow in your relationship with God, it should become a joy to do his will. It's hard. Again, two wheels. We want to take back that other wheel. We want, to, we want Jesus to take the wheel, and now Jesus give it back to me. Uh, but it, it's, it's a struggle, but it's fulfilling like nothing else. Denise and I have this conversation all the time because, you know, ministry, fortunately, I only work 45 minutes. 
a week, um, sometimes an hour, if it's a longer sermon. Now, it, it's stressful at times. And honestly, if I could do anything else, I would. <laughs> but, but I feel called and compelled to do this job. Uh, and really, I don't, if I chased after something else for employment, uh, it wouldn't really, you know, satisfy me in the way, because I'm doing God's will. Now, all of us aren't called to maybe do this vocationally, but, but you're called to things in your life, and I promise you, they may be hard, but you'll find joy in them when you're doing them. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, up until I was 20, I kind of did my own will. You know, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 uh, says, you know, pray like this, and then starts into, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come on. Uh, soon may your earth, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven or maybe if you grew up in a traditional thing i it's funny as much as i am not a king james person when i'm at a funeral man you, you drop this in the king james because everyone remembers it in the king james right you know thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven i get a bunch of people who did not like anything i had to say about jesus during the ceremony but they all chant in on that yeah like we know this part anyway um <laughs> The biggest barrier to his kingdom is what? My kingdom. See, I got to stop doing that because there's more than one right answer. What do you think I'm asking there? <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think for me, one of the biggest, you know, barriers to seeking his kingdom is the fact that I want my kingdom. I want things my way. Uh, you know, uh, what would, this is the kind of questions I was asking myself this week. What would your world look like if you really pursued his will over your will? Would it change relationships? Change the way you live? What would the world look like if we really pursued his will over our will? So your world would change. You think the whole world would change a little bit? Uh, I think the world would look different. And I think we would be much more content. Because we tend to chase things that we think are going to make us happy, right? Grass is always greener on the other side. You know, we think, oh, that's going to make us happy. And we get over there, what? Does it make us happy? And that, that's with everything. And you have to trust, if you trust that, taste and see the Lord is good, and you trust that if you do your will, it, it's a good thing, and we learn to do God's will, uh, you know, we'll live differently. Now, we, um, the men's Bible study, I talk about it a lot because I go to it, and it's funny how many times we talk about something there that makes it into the sermon, like pretty much weekly, right? All the ladies are like, I want to go to the men's Bible study. Well, someone else can start a women's one at 5 a.m. so they can meet before us. And no, I, it's, it's an early morning Bible study for a Saturday. I'm an early morning person. Like, I have to force myself to sleep past four or five. Um, but, I, you know, Saturday, I'll be honest, sometimes that alarm goes off and I'm like, man, it's been a long week. Uh, you know, but it, we're doing, we're doing a, a, a series of videos called I Am Second. Um, and, and some of you have seen some of the I Am Second videos. Anyone seen videos from I Am Second? My gosh, you need to watch those. You go on IamSecond.com or you just search YouTube. They've got a YouTube channel, all the videos. There are these cool videos, and it takes celebrities usually, people who are kind of well-known, and it kind of it tells their story and how Jesus intersects with it. And it's like, I'm not first, I'm second, because you put Jesus first. Anyway, um, that's a whole sermon in itself. But Duck Dynasty, uh, they did one with... Uh, Phil Robertson, um, am I saying his last name right? I'm not good with like people's names and stuff. The duck guy, <laughs> and uh, he's kind of had this crazy life. Uh, but it was it was a fun part of the, the story we were, we were discussing yesterday. Was after coming to Christ, he said he was going to make a valiant attempt to be good. 
<laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, he, was, he was talking to someone who'd led him to Christ because he had this crazy life, and, you know, he was like, the guy, the guy who talked to him, he's like, well, love God, love your neighbor, try to be good. And Phil's like, well, I've never done that. <laughs> Never tried to be good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was like, hey, crazy life. But the guys, the guys, like, well, can you try? He's like, I'll try. And then, um, you know, you had the common things that most of us have struggles with. When you come to labor, you have these opportunities to, are you going to live this out or not? And his was river rats were stealing his fish. Now, river rats, I mean, like people, not actual rats that swim. But, you know, he called them river rats. They'd come up, they'd, you know, open up his traps, steal his fish. That's how he's making a living. That's how he's feeding his family. And, you know, most of us have this all the time, right? Because, no, I'm, the most I could think of was, like, I remember we put out our crab pots down at the beach, and every once in a while someone steals my crabs. Man, it infuriates you. You go out to the pot, and it's, like, completely empty, and you're like, oh, no, this is, I know someone stole my crabs because... <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating, and there's not much you can do, you know, unless you, like, camp out, like, with a shotgun underneath the water next to your pot or something, um, which, that's kind of what he does, because he kind of, he sees the guys, they, they roll up, and they, uh, they're, they're, they're starting to pull his net into the boat, and he flies up with a shotgun, and in his mind, though, he'd been working on this scripture that says, you know, uh, <laughs> um, that, uh, be good to your enemies, do not return evil for evil, and he's like, Lord, I'm going to try that. <laughs> so he rolls up on him. He's like, what are you guys doing? And he goes, oh, we, oh, is this a net? Is that what? He goes, I'll tell you what. I know you're taking them, but I'll tell you, what, we're going to pull it up. You can have whatever's in the net. And so he gives them everything in the net. They drive off, keep looking at him. Kind of funny. They're driving off in their boat. And they never stole this fish again. <laughs> uh, now, I don't know. People might still steal your fish. I, I don't know. <laughs> but but you think, we all have in our lives a point where we have to decide, am I then because we're in a pit, we get out of the pit, and then we have to decide, am I going to do the things God's way or not? Because sometimes, again, we end up in the pit. Why? Because we did some things. We, you know, and, and, and so when God delivers you from the pit, will you live his way after that? You know, because sometimes he calls us to live in ways that don't make sense. I was at a funeral yesterday, middle of funeral, and I was surprised. The person said she was a robot. What? <laughs> then I realized that's not what she said. But, you know, it, it sounded so crazy. I was like, is that, what? <laughs> and I was like, that is not, I've never heard that at a funeral. And you're all thinking, yeah. Like, I was, I was like, what in the world? Yeah. That's, that's the face I was making. And here's the thing. Um, some things don't seem to make sense. Now, in that case, it didn't make sense because it's not what the person said. And it wouldn't make sense because she was not a robot. Um, but, Sometimes we might think we misheard. Like you've read some scriptures. Anyone ever read one that you're like, man, I don't want to put that one into practice. Uh, are you sure? Like, is there a context I can get out of this, God? You know, because, you know, it says things like love your enemies. It's hard sometimes, right? It's hard enough to love your family. <laughs> it's hard enough to love some of you. But now I got to love my enemies? You know, or you know, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, sometimes our idea of pray for those who persecute is to pray for justice to come down. But, you know, can you pray for those who persecute you? Can, can we forgive those, you know, as we're forgiven? I, I read this story about this 
I, I read lots of stories about people who go through horrible things and everything. I'm, I'm an, sort of a news junkie on my phone because I can get all kinds of articles. I was reading this one, and a woman was like talking about the murder of somebody, um, and she's like, you know, I believe in God and everything. I'm glad other people can forgive. I just can't. That's a dangerous place. I don't know the whole context of everything she's saying. Now, it's tough to forgive, but the forgiveness isn't even for them. It's for us. And we, if you've been forgiven of much, you forgive. If God for, has forgiven you of your junk, you have to forgive others. That's hard, right? You're like, you're like kind of wish you misheard that one in Scripture, but that's what it says. And, and so there's all these tough things to live it out. And, and the truth is, the Bible just paints this different way of living in the world than we see on TV, than we see, you know, at work, that we see with our friends. But the question is, when God delivers you to pit, Will you live his way after? Um, verse 9 says, I've told all the people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news from, of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, you know, the image in my, in my mind here is, you ever just been so excited to tell people about something that you just want to pop with good news, right? You know, like a few years ago, you guys got something that most people never thought would happen. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> now, when, you, when that happened, every time you saw someone in Eagles jersey at Wawa, what was it? It was like, what's up? <laughs> you know, it's like you can be a total stranger. Someone has the same jersey on. You're like, yeah, it's good news. And you, I got a few comments and posts because I occasionally make fun of Eagles fans. Uh, but people were more than happy to share the good news, right? Because it was good news. It was exciting to them. Now, here's the thing. If it's good news, we share it, right? Now, do you guys anybody remember, if you've been in the church long enough, uh, I think they, we might still have some somewhere here in the church, but there was like the Good News Bible. Anybody remember that? Um, I, I, I remember that when I didn't know as a kid like why it was called Good News. And then I went to school and I found out the word uh, Uangelion, um, which, you know, the gospel, it's called, you know, the Uangelion. It's the Good News. And so like the Good News is what? Jesus. The Good News is the gospel. Not your team winning the Super Bowl. That was good news, but a different kind, right? Uh, but we wouldn't hesitate to share something like our team winning the Super Bowl. Why do so many of us hesitate to share the good news of Jesus? Just going to let that one simmer. Until it's real awkward. Now I'll keep talking. <laughs> Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For your troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins are piled so high I can't see my way out. I picture like sandbag sins. That's the image I get. <laughs> uh, or like some of you, your room as a teenager. <laughs> my sins are piled so, uh, so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. Well, it's not that hard now. <laughs> I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. And you know, the psalmist experienced his deliverance earlier, but David finds himself in trouble again. And you know, I think in life, there, it seems to be a cycle of pits. Now, it's also a cycle of mountaintops. There's good things. But there is a cycle. You can get in a pit and then get out of a pit. And then you end up back in a pit. And sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's our sin. 
Sometimes it's just people coming against us. Sometimes it's life and physics. But, but you know, there's this constant thing. In truth, life can be hard, full of disappointments. But here's the thing. We don't have to live in misery and hopelessness. And I think it, it's kind of an attitude that you can have about experiencing the hardships because we all will experience hard stuff, right? Anyone here never experience hard things? Okay, which of you is not alive and actually a robot? Um, <laughs> see, I, turned, I knew someone was a robot. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. This can all make life seem hopeless, but in Christ, we can be hopeful. John 16, 33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And ultimately, we have victory in Christ. And so no matter what life throws at us, no matter what curveballs come, we, we, no matter what pits we fall into, we have this hope in Christ. And, and we can live victoriously even in a hard world. Corey Ten Boom said, and I've, I've said this quote before, he says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. See, my, my joy is not determined by the circumstances around me. My joy is in the Lord. My joy is in Christ, doing his will. Um, Verse 14 says, May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For he said, Aha, we've got him now. (laughs) You know, I'll be honest, sometimes people in this world, you know, come against us, right? Like, when we struggle, people smile. You know, when when you fail, there's some people who will cheer. Uh, And David is crying out for God to act, because I think we all feel that way. This is verse 16. May all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. You know, the Lord keeps me in his thoughts. Um, has anyone here ever met a celebrity? One, two, three. Some of you, you all met me. I'm a celebrity. I, no, I'm kidding farthest thing from it you know I've, I've met a few celebrities and things and i'm kind of ignorant to them so like i, I worked in a medical office where they all came and i was i was the perfect person to do the medical billing because i had no idea who they were uh <laughs> and, and i still don't know to this day i, I know a few because people are like oh that's so and so and i'm like oh, okay but i have no idea who that is um <laughs> you know uh, you know if, if you've met a celebrity think of the celebrity you, you would love to meet the most don't tell me don't tell me because it's all gonna be different some of you will have someone other than The Rock, um, other than Arnold, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, but think of a celebrity. Now, imagine you ran into him. Would you be surprised if they were like, hey, Judy, I was just thinking about you. Hey, Deborah, I was just thinking about Dana, you know. Hey, Bob, great, I was just thinking about you. You'd be surprised, right? Because you don't think celebrities are going to think of you, right? It's, it's ridiculous. You'd be like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Uh, <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. We, we'd be shocked if they said they were thinking of us, but God, in all his power, has you on his mind. He's greater than a celebrity, but he's got you on his mind. He's got your good in his, on his mind. You know, he, he wants to um, do things for us. And ultimately, we can trust God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, a lot in 2 Corinthians today, too. <laughs> we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. This is the best part. Not the, that's good. That sets up 
verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but I up again. No, <laughs> but we are not destroyed. The, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And, and ultimately, that, that's, you know, we, we are pressed, we are, we are, but we're not going to be destroyed. We are um, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned. We're knocked down, but we're not destroyed. And that, that's the, the hope is that in Christ, we go through a lot, but in Christ, suffering is not the end. Sometimes it's part of the process. But, but ultimately, um, we have hope in Christ. Looking back at verse 1 uh, of the psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned and heard my cry. Waited patiently. Who here is impatient? <laughs> Who here is lying to me? <laughs> the rest of you raise your hand. Uh, we're often impatient, right? When we drive. If we left five minutes earlier, it wouldn't be a problem, but that dude stopped at that light when it was clearly dark yellow, almost red. You know, he should have made that. Uh, you know, how many of us stop at the stop sign here and have met the Wyoming Police Department? Because uh, you have to make a complete stop there. Uh, you know, any of us ever make a rolling stop? Because we're in a hurry? What? <laughs> My son's raising his hand. We got to talk. <laughs> um... Uh, you know, how many of us have been impatient with our kids? You don't have to raise your hands, because I'll just assume every parent raised their hand on that one. Uh, how many of us, you know, are patient with our spouses? Now our spouses are all elbowing each other, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to wait. It, you know, I remember one time, before cell phones, I broke down. I was coming up on 13 from Salisbury. I broke down and tried to change the tire, and like the, this, you know, they give you those really cheap tools to change your tire that they think you'll never use, and mine broke when trying to use them. And then so I was dressed in a full suit, and this was the day before cell phones, and it was raining, and so I ran up 13 in a full suit, um, and it shrank, and that's why I've never worn it to this day. Uh, <laughs> now. But I remember it was like this odd moment. I was like, what in the world am I doing? Somebody picked me up. They're like, dude, I, I had to pick you up. I knew there had to be a story here. <laughs> I just thank God for that guy, whoever he was. Uh, you know, today I'd probably just call someone and try to wait. I'd wait, but would I be patient? It's hard, right? I, and I, you know, there's all these horrors, you know, going on in Afghanistan. And I can't imagine you know, stuck. A lot of them are stuck in their houses. They're trying to get out, and they're waiting. That's got to be horrible. But, and I, and, but I think I can relate, but not that I've had it to that extreme, but it's hard to wait. It, it's hard to trust, especially if you don't know if the, what you're trusting in is going to come. Um, not to get political, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we need to learn to be patient in the pit. You know, he has been faithful, right? So he will be faithful to get us out of the next one. You know, you may not always see a way forward, but if you look to the past, you can see what God has done. You may not always see a way forward, but you can look to a God, up to a God who can lift you up out of that pit. No matter what you're going through, what life is thrown at you, know that God sees it and trusts that he will act in his timing. 